the Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you, once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Yeah. 
Well, please remain standing and open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. This morning we'll read from verses 1 through 10. First Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the, Lord, of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. You may be seated. We're going to pray uh, together today. And we have double um, honor today. So we, we have two uh, missionaries with us. We have uh, Jenna Weisenberger, who serves in the Middle East with us. Um, and we also have Fali and Lily Ravwangi, who serve in Madagascar. So um, the Church of the Lord is a global family and evidence today here. Um, but we want to pray for both of them and their ministries. And uh, just a bit about Fali, he's going to be preaching here this morning. So this is, uh, I believe this is his first time preaching here. So you may not know, uh, he and Lily have five children. They live in Madagascar, and he pastors uh, at a church there. And then they also work in pastoral training. And so they're very excited to be starting up a seminary soon. And so um, we will be praying for them. And so, yeah, let's pray for both Jenna and Fally and Lily uh, and for our morning together. Father, we worship you. We love you. We thank you that you are the God who brings the proud low and who exalts the humble. You, you look to the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at your word. And so we worship you for your kindness and your goodness to us. Um, Lord, you overflow in kindness over and over and over, day by day. And so we just, we're thankful. Uh, we love you. We worship you. Lord, thank you for Hannah, for her prayer that we've just read. Thank you for the work that you did in her life and the way that through her um, upbringing of Samuel that you impacted all of history, all of your plan for the nations uh, through her. And Lord, we want to remember mothers in our lives today that you would bless them, encourage them. Um, Lord, thank you for the impact of moms who day after day uh, serve in ways that are never seen, never known. They bear burdens that no one else can really fully grasp. Um, and Lord, they they raise the next generation of godly men and women. And so we're thankful for them. We ask that you would bless them today. 
Lord. And Father, we ask that you would bless Jenna. Open doors for her to be able to, to share truth with others. Give her wisdom and endurance and patience in her, her language training. Uh, Lord, give her unity among her team members. Give her joy and peace in her situation there. And Lord, continue to open doors for the gospel to penetrate into, into areas that it's never been before. That, that new people would bow their knee to Christ and worship him as king. Lord, we pray the same for Madagascar, that you would open hearts to the gospel, that you would establish pastoral training there, that, that more uh, light and truth of the gospel would go forth there. Um, Lord, bless Fally and Lily and their family, their children. Uh, give them a deep personal walk with you that would, that would flourish and that would lead to fruitful ministry, Lord. Um, and God, we just worship you. You are the God that reigns among the nations and you are extending your kingdom day by day as, you, uh, as the gospel goes forward. And so we worship and we praise you. We ask, Lord, that you would help us this morning. Let your word shape how we think, how we feel, how we act. Uh, and Lord, may you reign supreme in our hearts, in our lives, and to the ends of the earth.
thank you for the morning that we have to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the chance to hear from your word together. Lord, may it penetrate our hearts and minds so that we could have our hearts illuminated to better know and love and see Christ. Lord, would you please show us your righteousness and goodness and encourage us to follow even more closely after you with each passing day and week. And Lord, maybe we encourage one another to do this as well. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. We ask that you would help us to focus our hearts and minds on your word and your truth that you would have us receive this morning. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is a joy and a privilege to be here this morning uh, for my uh, wife and I to be here with you guys and uh, to uh, take this opportunity as well to thank you as a congregation for your support uh, to uh, our ministry back in Madagascar and also a privilege to be to have the opportunity uh, to open God's word uh, this morning. Thank you to uh, Pastor Mike for allowing me to be at this pulpit today. Uh, well, it is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day uh, to all the, the, the mothers that are here today. And uh, on this day, usually there will be always a debate raging as to whether Christians should celebrate Mother's Day or not. Some would point out to the pagan origin of this celebration that it was originally celebrated in ancient Greece to honor Rhea, the mother of gods. Others would point out to the fact that in the 1600s it was instituted to celebrate Mary, the mother of Christ. And, uh, but there's also other reasons why people are hesitant to celebrate Mother's Day. It's because for some, the thought of Mother's Day is something painful or traumatic. Maybe some, maybe some among us have lost their mother or others didn't know their mother or were separated from their mother for whatever reason and maybe some cannot be mothers. But one thing we know is that all of those things are the result of the presence of sin in this world. And one other thing that we know is that we have, as believers, the duty to recover and affirm biblical motherhood, what the Bible says about mothers and women. In this day and age where people are so confused as to even what a woman is, it is important that we focus on what the Bible has to say, how the Bible defines womanhood and motherhood, but even more as to how the Bible defines faithfulness in womanhood and in motherhood. So let us go to a passage, the passage uh, that presents to us a wife and a mother, and we're going to observe in there how she is faithful in fulfilling her role as a woman of God. Yes, indeed, God, when he created humanity, when he created us, in Genesis chapter 1, he said that he created men and women in his image. Both manhood and womanhood are, were made to carry the image of God. And so turn with me, if you're not there yet, to 1 Samuel. And we have already read chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, but let's read chapter 1 as well. That would introduce us to one faithful woman Hannah. First Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. 
I will be reading it in the Legacy Standard Bible version, but follow in the version that is in your hands. Now there was a certain man from Ramathim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. Now he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now that man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to Yahweh of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Ophni and Phinehas, were priests to Yahweh there. And the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, and he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But Yahweh had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because Yahweh had closed her womb. So it would happen year after year. As often as she went up to the house of Yahweh, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of Yahweh. And she, bitter of soul, prayed to Yahweh and wept despondently. And she made a vow and said, O Yahweh of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a seed amongst men, then I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it happened as she multiplied her praying before Yahweh that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am, an oppressed, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before Yahweh. Do not consider your maidservant as a vile woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great complaint and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your servant women find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before Yahweh, and turned back and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and Yahweh remembered her. Now it happened in due time that Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of Yahweh. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to Yahweh the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the young boy is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before Yahweh and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what is good in your eyes. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may Yahweh establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of Yahweh in Shiloh. 
although the boy was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the young boy to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to Yahweh. For this young boy I prayed, and Yahweh, gave, Yahweh has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to Yahweh as long as he lives. He is dedicated to Yahweh. So he worshipped Yahweh there. What a glorious text. What a glorious text. And it is even more beautiful to see this story knowing the period of Israel history that we are in. We are at the end of the long period of the judges. And we know that Israel is in an awful spiritual state. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And before this book uh, starts, which is going to span in, uh, over the course of 115 years, and before we are introduced with the three main characters of this book, which are Samuel from uh, chapter 1 to 7, Saul from chapter 8 to 15, and then David from chapter 16 onwards, we are introduced to a woman. This woman is at the center of the attention of the author. Yes, her husband Elkanah and co-wife Penina and Eli the priest are mentioned, but there is absolutely no doubt as to whom the author chooses to focus on, and that is Hannah. And so today, like the author of Scripture, we are going to focus on Hannah and glean from her life manifestations of faithfulness to the Lord. We are going to see three spheres, three areas of her life in which her devotion and dependence on Yahweh are evident so that we would in turn assess our own faithfulness to God. So even though it's talking about a woman, men don't check out. This is not a chick flick. This is the story of a servant of God who wants to glorify God. This is the story of someone who wants to be faithful with all her life, with everything that she is. And may we, like her, seek to glorify God with everything that we are in all the spheres of our lives. And so as we go through today and examine Hannah's life, I would like you to ask yourself one question. One question that I would like you to meditate on as we examine Hannah's life here. If I truly believe God to be who He is, how is that made evident in my everyday life? If I truly believe God to be who He is, how is that made evident in my everyday life? And that is what we see here, and we will see those three spheres, and we'll start here in chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 19, we see the portrait of a faithful wife, a faithful wife. And this woman didn't have it easy at all, for sure. Sure, she had a husband that loved her. The text says so there in verse 5, that her husband loved her, but not enough to only have her. He had two wives. And we see that in the Old Testament, that every time that the pattern that God has set since the beginning of marriage being between one man and one woman, every time that pattern is broken in the Old Testament, trouble follows trouble follows and so to make things worse not only does she has a co-wife with her but she's also barren she cannot have children 
Penina was popping babies like nobody's business, <laughs> which was a sign of God's favor in that culture. But her, she was not. And to make it worse, Penina was a pain in the neck. And she used the fact that she could have children as a leverage in the household to mock Hannah. And if we see those circumstances of Hannah, it is good to ask ourselves, how would we have responded? How would we have acted if those were the things that we had to deal with on a daily basis? If we had someone that made sure to be a thorn in the flesh all the days of your life in the home with you. Look at how Hannah responds here. The first thing that we see is that she does not forsake her marriage and her spiritual discipline. She does not forsake her marriage and her spiritual dis discipline. We could see her not fleeing her circumstances. She was not looking for an exit. She was not looking to get out of this very bad situation. She continued to faithfully serve alongside her husband. And you could see there that she continued her spiritual discipline. She continued to go yearly and every time that the occasion presented itself regularly to the temple. She stayed faithful at home. She stayed faithful in her service to God. She provides for us a fine example of what to do in the face of trial. It is so easy in the face of trial to turn away from what we have been called to do. But Hannah doesn't do it here, even though her situation is really hard. Actually, look there. If you would look with me there in verse 6, it tells her that her rival would provoke her bitterly to irritate her. The word here for bitterly is the same word that is used for Naomi in the book of Ruth, when Naomi is said that she wanted, because of her circumstances, to change her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, uh, to Mara, which means bitter. Hannah's life was bitter because of Penina's action. And she wept and she did not eat and she was very sad. But in the midst of that bitterness, in the midst of that pain, she kept walking. She kept doing what she was supposed to do. She displayed fruits of the Spirit like meekness and self-control. She remained faithful to her husband and faithful to her God. Isn't it that sometimes, friends, we are unlike Anna? Isn't it that sometimes when we have so many problems, we focus on the problem and we forget our duty to our God? And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not making light of your problems you might have problems at home in your personal life, and I'm absolutely not making light of them. But I am appealing from you, uh, uh, to you from Scripture to avoid the two pits that one can fall into when facing trouble in your life. The first pit is to pretend they're not there and to, or to try to escape from them from many different means. But the other pit is as well to wallow and to indulge yourself into self-pity. Poor me. Poor me. You could see Hannah, she does none of those things. If you have trouble, do like Hannah. Stay in your marriage. Fight for it. Stray, stay with your spouse. Keep your spiritual discipline and pray. Because that's the second thing that we could see her doing as a faithful wife. A faithful wife does not forsake her spiritual discipline and a faithful wife 
prays. She carries all her burdens to God. Look with me at verse 10. And she, better of soul, prayed to Yahweh. Look at verse 15. It says, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before Yahweh. In times of trouble, this is what she does. She turns to the only comfort, the only source of real strength and comfort. She turns to her God. Imagine the different things that she could have done in this situation. First thing that she could have done is that she could have in her heart blamed God. She could have said to God, God, don't you see? I try to be a faithful woman. I'm doing my best here. I haven't missed temple once. I have a frequent, guard, a frequent guest card here at church. I'm coming every year. I'm very spiritually disciplined. Why do you do this to me, Lord? She's not saying that. She could have also blamed her husband. She could have said, am I not enough? Why do you have to connect with pain in the neck here? Or she could have also latched on to Penina. Hey, don't you see that he loves me more? Take a hike. She doesn't do that. She could have also gone and, uh, you know, spent time with her girlfriends at the uh, Ramathaim Zofim Country Club to badmouth her husband and her rival, and they would have indulged in drinking wine to try to forget about their circumstances and complain about how bad her husband is. Or she could have drowned in self-pity. Not saying a word, just being bitter in her heart towards everybody else. But she didn't. She didn't do that. She poured it all out to God. And he is called here, there's a specific name used for God here, he's called the Lord of hosts. This name is to affirm God's sovereignty over all the universe. He is the God over the visible and the invisible. He is the God that rules over all powers in heaven and on earth. And it is to that God that she turns, and it is to that God that we should turn. Prayer is us coming before the all-sufficient, all-powerful God who alone can meet all our needs. And you could see that she was faithful and persevering in prayer. Look in verse 12. It says that she multiplied her praying to Yahweh. It's not a one-soft thing. It was her habit to bring her trouble before the Lord. It reminds us of the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, where it tells us that the one, it is good for one to pray always and not to give up. Not to give up, to be resilient in prayer. Men and women of faith should not hesitate to be diligent, to be perseverant in carrying their burdens before the Lord. Yes, you should seek godly counsel. Yes, you should take practical steps to try and help you know, the situation that you are into. But prayer is not a last resource. Prayer should be our first resource and resort. When trouble comes... Go to your God. Because as you do, you are demonstrating total dependence upon Him. You are demonstrating humility before the mighty hand of God. You are demonstrating that you understand that prayer is the God-ordained way for us to deal with our problems. We think of prayer when there's nothing else to do. That it's some kind of nicety that Christians do because it sounds very spiritual. But it's sometimes 
true that we are not really believing in the potency and in the necessity of prayer. We don't have strength on our own to deal with some of the situations that we have. We don't have the wisdom to solve the problems. And God builds that in into our life so that we would understand our dependence. We are creatures depending on the Creator. And there is no way we could go through life not with Him. Disconnected from Him. That is God working in our hearts to shape us. And this is what he reminds us here through the example of Hannah. When you see Hannah, and as we read those passages, what do you see in Hannah? Oh, I see a woman that knows her God. She doesn't know about God. She knows her God. She knows him personally. She has a deep personal relationship with him. She has tasted that the Lord is good, and she keeps coming to that source of goodness. She enjoys being with her Lord. She practices her faith. She lives out her faith in her devotion to her husband, in the spiritual disciplines that she keeps, and in her prayer life. Don't you see that one of the ways that you could show that you have faith in God is to be intently and intensely praying? Only humble people pray. Only humble people pray. May we all be humble before our holy God and turn to Him and seek to be faithful in our lives of prayer. I haven't heard one Christian so far complaining, Lord, help me, I pray too much. <laughs> it's rather the contrary, isn't it? It's rather the contrary. And so here we have a woman that reminds us of what it is to be faithful, to be a faithful wife. Here. And now we see in verse 20 to 28, she's showing us as well that she's a faithful mother. A faithful mother. Not only is she a faithful wife, but she is a faithful mother. Look there with me at verse 20. What does it say in verse 20? It says, Now it happened in due time that Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of Yahweh. God answered her prayer, and she bore a son. But note her reaction. Note what it is that she does immediately as she received that answers to prayer. The first thing that she does is that she recognizes that her child is a gift from God. That her child is a gift from God. And yes, maybe some parents here don't feel like that when they are very naughty, but they are gifts from God. And so here she acknowledges that with the very name that she gives her child. Some, there's debates as to what Samuel means. Some say it means God's name. Others say it means asked of God. But here, well, she answers that for us in verse 20. I think perhaps the phrase heard by God would be the best for what Samuel would mean because her mother clearly felt that Samuel was a direct answer to her prayers. You see, life is a gift from God, passed on from generation to generation. And it is not changing. It's not because you're progressive in the ideas that the way to make babies and have babies has changed. It remains the same. And that is God's doing. It is God blessing us with offspring. Many passages like Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 would affirm that. And so for Hannah, Samuel is an answer to prayers. It means 
so much to her after years of barrenness, after years of hearing someone yakking behind her because she was bearing. Finally, she has one child. But the story doesn't tell us that it was now wonderful at home and that Samuel grew by his mother and they lived happily ever after. Note that Hannah didn't pray only for a son. Go back to verse 11 with me. What does it say in verse 11? She prayed this. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a seed amongst men, then I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. There, as she was praying, she's dedicating her son to God as a Nazarite. She's dedicating her son to be separated, to be set apart for God as per Numbers chapter 6 into the regulation of what it is to be a Nazarite. And you could see later as well in our passage that she has prepared for him as well a little effort, a little uh, linen effort. She dressed him up as a little priest showing that she wanted her son to have and love that role. And so in that... We could see that Hannah not only recognizes that children are gifts from God, but that they are gifts from God entrusted to us for a time. And that in that time, we have the responsibility to turn that child Godward. We have the responsibility to raise that child to become a representative, an ambassador of the living God. That's all that Hannah wanted for her child. She understood that God wants a godly offspring, as it tells us in Malachi chapter 2. And she understands her responsibility in fulfilling that. And in the way that she does that, she is also demonstrating to us that she is a woman of her word. She is a woman that keeps her word. She keeps, she's faithful to her commitments before God. Look with me there in verse 24. What does it say? It says that after she had weaned him, she took him up and brought him to the house of Yahweh in Shiloh, even though the boy was young. Verse 11 of chapter 1 told us that she made a vow. And here in verse 24, she kept that vow that she made before the Lord. She presented Samuel when he was three years old and left him at the temple. Imagine that son that she has been praying for for so long, that son that she cherishes and she loves, the most precious gift that she has received from the Lord, she lets it go. She gives it to the Lord for His glory. She kept her commitment. I wonder if we sometimes are not also, I mean, are not too flippant about making commitments before the Lord. If we are not uncareful sometimes about the commitments we make before the Lord. And even sometimes it's things that, that we say in songs, like earlier, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Understand that those are declarations that we make before God. Are we faithful to that commitment that we make when we say those words? 
In Numbers chapter 32, we have the two and a half tribes of Israel that want to strike a deal with Moses to say that they want to inherit the land on the east side of the Jordan. And so Moses makes a deal with them and says, okay, you could have that land, but if you promise to, when we are going to, when the time will come to conquer the land of Canaan, that you promise to go and fight with your brothers. And then he ends up in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, he ends up by saying this, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against Yahweh and be sure your sin will find you out. I just wanted to point out to all of us that it is a sin not to keep the commitments we have made before God. God is not mocked and our words are heard by a holy God. And so in if we want to be faithful, if we want to be faithful in what God has entrusted to us, we need to recognize that our children are gifts from God, that our children must be raised to fear the Lord and to serve the Lord, and that we must keep our commitments that we do before the Lord. Hannah did that. She was a faithful mother. She was a faithful wife. Now in chapter 2, in verse 1 to 10, as she prays, we see here the portrait of a faithful woman of God. She's a faithful woman of God. Not only is she a faithful wife, a faithful mother, and a faithful woman of God. You see here, as she has just left her son in the temple, you could see her after that. She's not leaving the temple crying, depressed, and singing all by myself. She breaks forth in a hymn of praise to God. She exalts God. She makes Him the center of her attention and ours. She demonstrates that He is worthy of all praise in all circumstances. And boy, is that song that she makes theologically rich. You remember, as I said earlier, Hannah knew her God. And you could see it in what she says that she knows her God. She knows the character of her God. Look there with me as, as, as she goes on in her prayer. She is proclaiming in verse 2 God's holiness, God's singularity, that there is none like Him, His absolute blamelessness. He, she is exalting His power there in verse 2 as well. There is none like Yahweh. She's exalting his wisdom in verse 3. She's exalting his righteousness in verse 3. And then from verse 6 to 9, you see there she's exalting, uh, well, that he's all-knowing there in verse, uh, in verse 3 as well. But you could see from verse 6 to 10 that she's exalting his, his sovereignty displayed in his providence. His sovereignty displayed in his providence. What? A beautiful, theologically rich prayer. And one thing that you notice in that prayer is that there is no petition. There is no petition. I wonder how many of our prayers are the same. I wonder if we as well in our life of prayer are able to just focus and savor and exalt our glorious God and our glorious Savior. I wonder if our prayers sometimes don't sound more like shopping lists rather than prayers. 
I wonder if we are, like Hannah, so consumed about who God is that we proclaim it back to Him in our prayers. I wonder how theologically rich our prayers are sometimes. She's declaring here that she wants to put her all trust in God. She knows that God has miraculously intervened and blessed her in her life. And she knows that God did so because God is a God that is abounding in steadfast love. And actually, this beautiful prayer provides the key to interpret the whole book of Samuel, first and second included. And actually, I would argue, it provides here as well the key to understand the whole Bible, the whole human history. And actually, the song that Hannah does here at the beginning of 1 Samuel has striking similarities with David's word at the end of 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, if you would notice that there's a lot of similarities. Look at what she says, for instance, in um, uh, Hannah says in chapter 2, verse 1, My heart exalts in Yahweh, my horn is exalted in Yahweh, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemy, because I am glad in your salvation. Look at the words of David in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and look there In verse 3, it says, The God of Israel said to me, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He rules over men as a righteous one who rules in the fear of God. You have the same affirmation of God being the rock. We have this, both of them speak of him as well as being the horn. Look in 2 Samuel chapter 22 in verse 3. Well, verse 2 and 3, it says, Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. Both Hannah, the simple woman, and David, the king, are proclaiming the same thing. God's power, God's sovereignty, and God being the rock of our salvation. God bringing salvation to his people. Both of them are exalting and are looking forward to the time when God will bring about His salvation in His sovereign plan. And look there, in, um, if you're back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 10, it tells us exactly how it will happen. It says at the end of verse 10, He will give strength to His king and He will exalt the horn of His anointed. Hannah's prayer is messianic. It's anoint, it's the, the word anointed is the word Messiah. And she's pointing to the arrival of the Messiah, to the arrival of the King who will save His people. That is none but the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in a dark spiritual time, you have this one woman that is holding strongly to the promises of God. She has wickedness all around her. I mean, just look at Eli's son, who are supposed to be the priest, and who, if you look at chapter 2, verse 22, are committing immorality with women at the door of the tabernacle. And if you see also the wickedness of Penina that is bringing bitterness in her life. And if you could see her personal circumstances, it says it twice so we wouldn't miss it. Chapter 1, verse 6 and chapter 1, verse seven, 5 and 6, sorry, that it wasn't an accident that she was barren. The Lord had closed her womb. And be, despite of all of that, despite of all of that, you could see that Hannah is exalting the character 
of her God. He's trusting the promises of her God. He's trusting, she's trusting God's sovereign plan. And we could see that, that she understands that God is sovereignly reigning over all circumstances. Look at verse 6 and 7 there of chapter 2. She understands that God is the one that puts to death and gives life. He's the one that brings down to Sheol. He's the one that makes poor. And he's the one that brings low. And this aspect of sovereignty usually gives Christians headaches. How can trouble come from the hand of a loving God? How could God be so cruel? How could God allow abortion? How could God allow women to be without children? How could a loving God bring so much tragedy in the life of people? Now God is sovereign over all that. And God is in control. And Hannah trusted that. And Hannah didn't see just her present circumstances. She saw as well the future promises of God. And that's how we must see what is going on in our lives. In this universe that is under the influence of sin, we need to go beyond Star Wars theology. Thinking that this world is just kind of a struggle between good and evil with good just being able to get the edge over things. We need to remember that God is sovereignly in control over all things that happen, good and bad. He is in charge. He is not co-reigning this universe with Satan. He allows Satan to operate, but he is sovereignly in charge. Hannah trusted that, do you? Hannah trusted that, do you? Do you understand and do you agree and do you deeply trust that all things work together for good. That all things are working together for good to, uh, for, uh, for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. One day we will understand. One day we will understand why God has taken us through this life of trouble. And one day we will relish being in the presence of our good, gracious, loving, sovereign God. One day it will come. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we are called to hold on to the promises of God. We are called to hold on to the certainty that we have that God has a plan. In the same way that He fulfilled that plan in bringing His Son into the world, He will make all His other promises come to pass. And you could see great parallels between Hannah's song and Mary's Magnificat, what is it called, the Magnificat, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 55. But you could see also parallels between the lives of these two women. Both Hannah and Mary uh, are uh, described in Scripture based on their role in motherhood and their faithfulness in it, in it. Both Hannah and Mary miraculously bore children. Both Hannah and Mary describes themselves as made servants of the Lord. We saw it in verse 11 of chapter 1 for Hannah. And in Luke chapter 1 verse 38, that's also how Mary called herself. Both of them responded in surrender and obedience to God's calling for their lives. Both of them trusted God's sovereign plan. Both of them understood that Jesus Christ is God's king and anointed, the Messiah the one that will bring salvation to the world. So Hannah understood that her life and her purpose as a mother was bigger than just giving birth to a baby. She understood that her purpose was to be willing to entrust that child to be used by God so to accomplish God's greater purposes. God's greater purposes. 
And you see that in the life of Hannah, don't you? Hannah raised Samuel. Samuel anointed David as king. And from David would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Do not underestimate what you do, mothers, to raise your children to fear and love the Lord. The Lord could use that to accomplish His greater purposes. So there is a greater good to changing diapers. Amen. All right. Well, Hannah was just one woman out of thousands, maybe millions, in Israel in her day. But her story is recorded for us as a portrait of faithfulness. Do you know one mother that is not mentioned? Her name is not even known in this text. Ophni and Phineas' mom. What's her name? We don't know. Because what we know of her is that her son became wicked. She did not raise her son to turn to God. But here, the story of Hannah is the story of a faithful wife, a faithful mother who wants to serve a faithful God. The whole nation was blessed because this woman had the problem and responded to it in a godly way, turning to God. The whole nation was blessed because this woman raised a child to, that would fear the Lord and that would be dedicated to serve the Lord. This Mother's Day, be grateful for the faithful mothers in your life. Be prayerful for those who are struggling with motherhood. Be um, training up your daughters so that they would become mothers that fear the Lord. Be instructing your young men that they would honor their mother and that they would be pure in their interaction with the other gender so that these women would also be faithful women of God. And pray for yourself as a church that God will continue to raise in your midst faithful husbands and wives, faithful mothers and fathers that we would all be faithful servants of our faithful God. Let's pray. Father, we just want to acknowledge anew that it's all about you. That you have indeed redeemed our lives so that we would be worshipers and proclaimers of the great God that you are. Thank you for the examples of faithfulness, of that example of faithfulness as we see in the life of Hannah. We're so grateful, Lord, for how she's exalting you in everything that she does and in the way that she lives her life. May our lives in the same way, may we live out as ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we live lives that are worthy of the rock of our salvation. May we entrust our lives to him if there are some here who haven't done so, may they turn to him, the rock of our salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We have the <clears throat> great joy and privilege now to take the bread and the cup together. And this is such a beautiful kind of transition to, to see how the Lord's hand was working in Hannah's life, in the story of Ruth, to, to weave his plan that he said he would bring someone who could undo that curse that brings the pain and the bitterness and the brokenness, but he would bring someone who would reverse that curse. And as small 
insignificant, average people trusted in him. He worked his plan throughout history until at the fullness of time, he sent his son to, to die, to, to suffer what would have been the most shameful and seemingly losing defeat in which he actually crushed the serpent. And so in one sense, we look back and in one sense, we look forward. And, and as we take the bread, we look back, we remember. Paul tells us, as he recounts what Jesus said, that Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way he took the cup and I love this he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood we are we're a family united in Christ by this covenant sealed by his blood that not only will he redeem our souls but one day he will redeem this entire world renew it make it new and we will see him face to face and so we remember and we look forward. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he finishes, for often, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Lord, we ask that you would come. What your people have prayed for, what John prayed for at the end of the Bible, come Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day when you renew all things. We look backward to that day when you purchase us by your blood, when you broke your body for us and you laid down your life. No one took it. And until that day that you come, Lord, teach us to be faithful like Hannah. Give us empowerment through your spirit to, to walk with you, to know you day by day to see your gospel spread throughout this world. We love you. We, we trust you. We thank you for your love that would die, would live, that would be raised from the dead, and that would rule for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand if you're able as we close singing, Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank your blood. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you.
Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We pray that you would um, empower us to be witnesses for your name, both here in the city of Orange and to the ends of the earth. We pray this for the glory and honor of Jesus. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.